title of the message today is A Prophet Under Pressure. And if you've ever felt the pinch of pressure in ministry, if ever service to Christ has almost threatened to submerge you with its associated costs, then this message will be of help this morning. Would you please turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 20 today. Jeremiah chapter 20. And to consider in this chapter what some have described as Jeremiah's dark night of the soul. Certainly his darkest hour in ministry. Deeply discouraging for him but perhaps encouraging for us at some level this morning. It's page 779 if you're using the Pew Bible. And now that you've got the page, let's just pray before we read. Our Heavenly Father, thank you so much that all Scripture is God-breathed. And is useful. Lord, we pray that this chapter, this study today would be useful to all of us. May your Holy Spirit teach us and rebuke us and encourage us. And thank you so much that all scripture is able to make us wise unto salvation. May that be so for some today. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. Jeremiah 20, verse 1. When the priest Pasher, son of Emer, the chief officer in the temple of the Lord, heard Jeremiah prophesying these things, he had Jeremiah the prophet beaten and put in the stalks at the upper gate of Benjamin at the Lord's temple. The next day, when Pasher released him from the stalks, Jeremiah said to him, the Lord's name for you is not Pasher, but Magor Misabib. For this is what the Lord says. I will make you a terror to yourself and to all your friends. With your own eyes you will see them fall by the sword of their enemies. I will hand over all Judah to the king of Babylon, who will carry them away to Babylon or put them to the sword. I will hand over to their enemies all the wealth of this city all its products, all its valuables, and all the treasures of the kings of Judah. They will take it away as plunder and carry it off to Babylon. And you, Pasher, and all who live in your house will go into exile to Babylon. There you will die and be buried, you and all your friends to whom you have prophesied lies. O Lord... You deceived me, and I was deceived. You overpowered me and prevailed. I am ridiculed all day long. Everyone mocks me. Whenever I speak, I, I cry out proclaiming violence and destruction. So the word of the Lord has brought me insult and reproach all day long. But if I say, I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, his word is in my heart like a fire, a fire shut up in my bones. I am weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. 
I hear many whispering terror on every side. Report him. Let's report him. All my friends are waiting for me to slip, saying, perhaps he will be deceived. Then we will prevail over him and take our revenge on him. But the Lord is with me like a mighty warrior. So my persecutors will stumble and not prevail. They will fail and be thoroughly disgraced. Their dishonor will never be forgotten. O Lord Almighty, you who examine the righteous and probe the heart and mind, let me see your vengeance upon them. For to you I have committed my cause. Sing to the Lord. Give praise to the Lord. He rescues the life of the needy from the hands of the wicked. Cursed be the day I was born. May the day my mother bore me not be blessed. Cursed be the man who brought my father the news, who made him very glad, saying, A child is born to you, a son. May that man be like the towns the Lord overthrew without pity. May he hear wailing in the morning and a battle cry at noon. For he did not kill me in the womb, with my mother as my grave, her womb enlarged forever. Why did I ever come out of the womb to see trouble and sorrow? And to end my days in shame. Amen. Like many of you, uh, I receive regular reports, usually via email, which give me an update on the so-called persecuted church. Uh, It's news about imprisonments, news about beating and torture. Even in some cases, it's news about martyrdom. It's very sobering material. But what I like about these reports, if I may put it in such terms, is that they focus in on specific situations and particular individuals so that I'm not praying for the persecuted church in a general kind of way. But I'm actually able to pray specifically about the people and the issues that are involved. Now, in this same kind of way, we would do well to understand the particular pressure which Jeremiah the prophet faced. Before asking, how did he cope with the pressure? That's what we're going to be asking this morning. But before we ask that, we need to know what was his pressure. Now, verses 1 and 2 are a very short and sharp Summary, you can read them there, that when the priest Pasher, son of Immer, the chief officer in the temple of the Lord, heard Jeremiah prophesying these things, and here's the little report, he had Jeremiah the prophet beaten and put in the stalks at the upper gate of Benjamin at the Lord's temple. Now, note carefully this report. Up until this point, if you've been here for this series, you will know this, The maltreatment of Jeremiah has been solely verbal and psychological. Harsh words, verbal jousting, bullying by expression. And yet as we come now into chapter 20 of the prophecy, we we venture into a new stage for Jeremiah. And the pressure turns up just a notch. And we find that there is this more hands-on approach. It gets physical now. 
The instigator of this is a, is a man named Pasher, a priest. And we hardly know anything about this individual, but what we do know is some very notable facts. That first of all, he was the son of the high priest, the son of Emer. And the high priest, of course, was the highest rank in the temple, in the, the cultic life of the nation. And secondly, we know that, that Pasher was the chief officer in the temple. Now, this is very significant because this meant that Pasher was essentially in charge of temple security. This was his watch. And any threat to the temple, perceived or real, was his job to clean up and to mop up. And it doesn't take much imagination for us to see why Jeremiah may have seen the threat to him. Indeed, verse 1 tells us that Pasher heard Jeremiah prophesying these things. These things, such as the destruction of the temple and of Jerusalem, back in chapter 19, the smashed pot. These things, like the temple sermon, remember, back in chapter 7. When Jeremiah had stood in the very temple precincts and proclaimed that this place would know the anger and the wrath of God. No doubt Pasher had been listening to all of this. And we can just imagine this chief officer, this head of security, marking Jeremiah into his little black book. And so here comes his opportunity. Jeremiah is present and he gets his hands on him and he seeks to punish him and to publicly humiliate him with the purpose of closing his mouth, of shutting him up. And we shouldn't underestimate the the level of the pressure that was on Jeremiah here. It really was a terrible ordeal. The prophet is firstly arrested. He's deprived of his freedom. And then the prophet immediately is beaten. And we don't get the details, but most people seem to think, given the temporal procedure at this time, that this was likely the 40 lashes. Which in later days they reduced to 39. They were scared of breaking the law on this matter. It it was a whipping to the back and to the legs. And then if this wasn't bad enough, he is paraded. He put in stalks and he is set up at the upper gate of Benjamin, which was a busy thoroughfare, into the temple courts so that people could see him and so that he could be a laughing stock to the people. And so that others could be warned against saying such things. It was no slight persecution. And by the way, these are stocks. I should tell you, these stocks were not the fun fairground type, you know, where you get your picture taken. The word in Hebrew for stocks, it actually means the twist. That's what it means, the twist. And uh, presumably it, it held the victim's body in some kind of uncomfortable position and over the hours, as the hours would pass, the pain would get almost excruciating. And and this is with 40 lashes on your back, perhaps. This is what you call a bad day in the office. In the office of a prophet. Slightly different. Now, from this point, we get intensely practical. 
Because the question arises for us. How does Jeremiah respond to this level of pressure? That's the question we ask. You know, few of us face maybe the same degree of trial that Jeremiah is going through. But all of us face pressure. And in particular, pressure in ministry, for that is what this relates to. How did he handle it? Now, I want to suggest this morning, and we'll be fairly brief on each of these for time, but I want to suggest that there are four ways in which Jeremiah responds. And I want to add the proviso, just before we get into this, that these are descriptive of how Jeremiah responded. They are not necessarily prescriptive for each and every possible situation. This is just how Jeremiah dealt with his situation, but no doubt there will be much instructive for each of us today. So here's the first thing. Number one, Jeremiah had courage. Jeremiah had courage in the face of enormous pressure. Now, this is a very inspiring point. We're simply told that the next day arrived and that, well, we don't know this, but I presume Jeremiah had a pretty rough night. Was it sleepless night for him, do you think? Well, the next day arrived, and in the morning, for reasons we are not told, Pasher released Jeremiah from the stalks. Perhaps he thinks that this will suffice. This will be sufficient to keep Jeremiah quiet. And this is the kind of point where, you know, we just read straight into verse 3. It would be lovely just to freeze frame it here. Just to freeze frame and just think about this. What would we have expected to happen next? You know, in one of these awful game shows where they, is it question of sport? It's maybe not an awful game show, but you know, they do this. They, they freeze the frame and everyone has a little guess. I wonder what you would be guessing this morning. Jeremiah, would, would he head home with his tail between his legs? Would he run out into the desert in shame, hoping that no one would see him after he's been so humiliated? Well, if that's what you guessed, you get no points this morning. Because what happens next is just... Amazing and unpredictable that the prophet continues to prophesy. He continues to prophesy immediately, not the next day and not the next week after some recovery time. And he also prophesies personally to the chief officer himself. He says, Pasher, listen, the Lord has got a word, not just for the nation, but for you. He's given me a word. And there are three things that he wants to tell you about. Number one, God has given you a dreadful name. It's in verse three. The Lord's name for you is not Pasher, but Magor Misabib. Now, you need to know, you need to understand here that Pasher, his name, it, it meant security. That's what his name meant. It meant security all around. Pasher. But now, he says, the Lord's name for you is not security, but Magor Misabib, which means, if you look at your footnote, it tells you, terror on every side. The man once called security is now renamed terror. Isn't that ironic? Mr. Security, who did the security, is now Mr. Terror. It's a dreadful Name. And also, this Magor Misabib, as his name suggests, is the second thing. He will make a dangerous acquaintance for people. 
The Lord says, verse four, I will make you a terror to yourself and to all your friends. With your own eyes, you will see them fall by the sword of their enemies. God help you if Pasher is in your gang. And thirdly, he says, you will face a dishonorable end. That's verse six. You, Pasher, and all who live in your house, you will go into exile to Babylon, and there you will die and be buried. There was nothing worse that God could have said to this man who was a Jew. This was the ultimate dishonor to be expelled from the promised land and to be buried in some foreign soil. It's a reminder of how serious God takes sin and particularly the very serious sin of seeking to stop God's mouth and the method for that usually is to stop God's messenger as Pasher attempted and failed to do. I trust this morning that none of us will follow Pasher's example and meet his judgment. And I trust this morning, more significantly, that we will follow the example of Jeremiah today. That that we will know something of what it means to courageously and fearlessly proclaim God's word, even in the face of intimidation and in the face of threat. I mean, this is such a challenge. Isn't this a challenge to your heart this morning? Where is the Jeremiah spirit in my heart and in my life? As it, as it pours onto my lips and I express courageously God's word to people. Which says, I will not be threatened and I will not keep silent when I know I must proclaim the truth of God's word. Now, we understand, of course, that we must do this with gentleness and respect. But that's not the issue here. The issue is, are we courageous or are we cowardly? Do you proclaim God's word openly and graciously to your neighbors? See, it doesn't take courage, really, to get up here this morning and to proclaim to a room which is predominantly full of Christians truths that they already believe. It takes great courage for you to go tomorrow and to share with your non-Christian friend that actually Jesus is the only way to God and the only way to heaven. That takes courage. And to explain this rather quaint view of the world to intellectual people that the essential problem in our whole society is sin and that the exclusive saviour is only Christ. And that the way to get to God is not through your own merits and your own works, but through faith in his work. That takes guts. And needless to say, the enormous courage to speak on more controversial topics and give an answer for the biblical view on, say, homosexuality or abortion today. You can be sure you will face scorn, however you say it, if you say what the biblical view is. Courage is the need of the hour. And if, if God is going to start to do the turnaround that Peter mentioned, then we're going to have to muster up in the evangelical church more courage than we have so far mustered. Jeremiah had courage. It's a wonderful Inspiration. But secondly, 
And you're going to find this is a really topsy-turvy ride. Jeremiah turns to complaint in verses 7 to 10. Uh, some of you like grass. Well, if you were drawing a graph, then we might imagine that Jeremiah started with a high point, with his courage, but now he hits a low. We're not told in the, in the text, actually, what happens next in the narrative. We don't know how Pasha responded to this. It seems that he simply let Jeremiah loose. And perhaps, we suppose, Jeremiah returned home or he went to some private place. But what we do know, by the time we get to verse 7, is that he is pouring out his heart to the Lord in prayer. One writer says, what tales could be told by the walls of the secret chambers of God's great saints? What litanies of tears and sighs and broken sentences? And yet, in this case, the walls can speak and we have the record of what Jeremiah prayed. And there's a technical word for this in the Bible. It's called a lament, a lamentation. And you find these uh, throughout the Psalms. You have, of course, the book of Lamentations, which many people believe uh, Jeremiah himself penned and wrote. Uh, we, they call it Lamentation. I was saying to my wife, Nikki, I says, what do they call this in Edinburgh? In Glasgow, uh, we call this a right good moan. Uh, she suggested a, a good whinge, which I don't know. You'll need to, to tell me. Well, Jeremiah basically has a very good and comprehensive moan. First of all, he moans about God. And he moans that, that God has called him to this suffering station. Verse 7, O Lord, you deceived me and I was deceived. Now, that word deceived, again, if you look to the little footnotes, these are helpful. It tells you this can be translated enticed or persuaded. You, Lord, you persuaded me. You overpowered me and prevailed. And he's clearly thinking back to how God called him in chapter 1. You remember that? How God compellingly brought him into the ministry. And he's saying, in effect, God, you put me here. You called me to this place. And if you didn't call me into this ministry, I wouldn't be facing this. I wonder if you've ever said that or prayed that to God. You put me here. And I'm facing this, this suffering, this trial. He moans to God. He moans, secondly, about people. In verse 7, he complains that people ridicule and mock him. They're even using the, the word of God to pasture against Jeremiah. Because they're saying, uh, as, he, as he walks by, they're whispering, oh, there's Mr. Terror on every side. That's who he is. They don't believe a word of it, of course. And they're plotting against him, verse 10. Report him, let's report him. Perhaps he will be deceived. Then we will prevail over him and take our revenge on him. And it wouldn't be so bad if this was Jeremiah's enemies. But he actually says in verse 10, all my friends are waiting for me to slip. And that's the most painful blow of all, isn't it? Not to be attacked by rank outsiders, but by your own kin and kindred. He moans about people. No wonder. He moans almost about himself. Because he feels totally unable to find a way out of this situation. He's between a rock and a hard place. He says, whenever I speak, verse 8, 
I cry out for claiming violence and destruction. And then the word of the Lord brings me reproach and suffering. If I speak, I suffer. But on the other hand, he says, if I say I will not mention him or, or speak any more in his name, what happens then? Evidently, Jeremiah's tried this. He said, I'm just giving up on this prophecy thing. Verse 9, his word is in my heart like a fire, a fire shut up in my bones. And I'm weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. He's tried silence. And he's found that the word of God is in him with a burning compulsion that just has to spill out. And so it's just unbearable for him. He just can't figure a way out of this conundrum. He says, when I speak, there's criticism. And, and when I don't speak, there's no comfort. And maybe he was right to moan, you know, in his kind of situation. It was a very difficult one. I wonder if you've ever felt like, like Jeremiah felt. I wonder if you've ever complained like Jeremiah complained. It's not anathema. It is a biblically legitimate concept. That sometimes we just need to let our frustration out openly and honestly and reverently to God. See, the funny thing is, God, of course, already knows how we're feeling and what we're thinking anyway. Some of you have had this experience. You maybe come back from work or maybe you've been at home and you've had a terrible, terrible day. And uh, you, you think, I'm not going to tell my wife or my husband about this. You know, I'm going to be very stoic about it. And within two minutes, you know, she knows and he knows there's a big black cloud hanging over your head. And it's sunshine outside and, you know, she says, what's the problem? Just tell me, just get it out. How pointless it is to pretend that we don't feel the way we feel when God knows what we feel. And actually, when we hold it in, when we bottle it up, when we try and be so stoic about it, it can be destructive. And on the other hand, when we let it out, God can t- turn that round positively. In fact, did you notice that it is after Jeremiah's complaint that his confidence rises? And and then he moves into a a brief period of praise. It's the third response of Jeremiah, confidence. I suppose in the graph it's an upward turn. It's not that Jeremiah has forgotten his situation. I mean, how could he? He's got these scars on his back. But somehow within this, he is now able to briefly vent his praise to God and, and just a small measure of his confidence in the Lord. In fact, uh, for three short verses, he has, we might say, a mini worship service. It's a very brief, but it's complete. It has a confession of faith. It has a prayer for deliverance and it has a hymn of praise. That's not bad just for four verses. So first of all, the confession of faith in verse 11 He says, the Lord is with me like a mighty warrior. He says, in spite of my circumstances, I want to affirm today, I want to declare this statement of faith that the Lord is with me and that he is the the mighty warrior. Now, why does he say it that way? Why does he praise God in that way? And it seems to me that Jeremiah, he, he focuses upon and he draws out the particular characteristic Of God's character, which is relevant to his situation. 
He could have praised God in so many different ways, but he says, Lord, you are the mighty warrior. In other words, Lord, you are stronger than all my foes. You are bigger than all my problems. It's quite an insightful approach, that, isn't it? I wonder if you've ever asked that. If I've got some big issue or problem in my life, how with integrity and without hypocrisy can I praise God? Well, here's what you do. You choose that attribute of God and you praise Him in that way that shows He's bigger than that problem. In the face of death, we can praise God because He is the living God. And in the face of despondency, we can praise God's name because He is the joy of our salvation. And in the face of confusion, we can praise Him because He is the true God and and He is the shepherd who guides the sheep. And in the face of sin... In your life, you can praise Him because He is your righteousness. You see, you can, you can focus in on what is most relevant to your situation. God is bigger and God is better than whatever you are up against. And therefore, you can praise Him in whatever situation. You can say, I trust you. You can say what He says in effect next. He says, I need you. Verse 12, let me see your vengeance upon them. I found this quite interesting. You know, we sometimes say that when you come into the worship service, you should leave your problems at the door. Jeremiah didn't have that idea at all. In fact, right in the middle of the worship service, just after he has affirmed his faith in God, he then prays for deliverance. This kind of makes sense. When when you're praising God, you see something of his majesty and you know what he can do and you pray to him. And you say, Lord, do something about this. I trust you. I need you. And thirdly, he says, I'll praise you. In fact, he says, I'll sing to you. It's a bit like uh, Paul and Silas in the prison, you know. Sing to the Lord. Give praise to the Lord. He rescues the life of the needy from the hands of the wicked. Someone says this isn't a very remarkable song. They say it's not a long song. It's just uh, four lines. There's no six verses and uh, seven choruses and... uh, Two interludes, it's just a couple of lines. It's not much, but it's really impressive. It's really impressive because it comes amidst such a pressurized situation as this. God is pleased when we bring something amidst our difficult circumstances. Maybe this morning, maybe at the moment, you're not able to muster much. You're not able to bring much in your praise, but... But you can bring something to God. Savior, thy dying love, thou gavest me, nor should I aught withhold. Dear Lord, from thee, in love my soul would bow, my heart fulfill its vow. Some offering bring thee now, something for thee. We sometimes sing this in church, don't we? All that I am and have, thy gift so free, in joy, in grief through life, Dear Lord, for thee, help me the cross to bear. Thy wondrous love declare, some song to raise our prayer, something for thee. Jeremiah brought something to God. And he affirmed some confidence in him. And that's a wonderful encouragement, I think, to all of us this morning. So he responds with courage. And he responds with complaint. And then he responds with confidence. And finally... And this is a hard place to finish. He responds with cursing. And uh, 
I guess the graph is not having a good trend this morning. It just goes all the way down to rock bottom. But I think this is uh, helpful to us in some respects because, you know, the Bible is refreshingly raw and it is real. And this is sometimes the reality of our experience. How often has it happened that perhaps even after a Sunday together, we've been encouraged in praising God and, and praying in faith. And we think we're on an upward trend. And then Monday morning comes. And we can't get out of bed. We, or something very small comes that week and we can't cope with it. And we think, well, I'm even lower than I was before. Well, that was Jeremiah's experience. And he prays down curses. He, he prays down two curses, actually. First of all, he curses the day he was born. Verse 14. Cursed be the day I was born. May the day my mother bore me not be blessed. He wants his birthday to be forgotten. He wishes his birthday had never happened. And then he adds a related thing. He, he curses also the man who brought the news of his birth. Cursed be the man who brought my father the news, who made him very glad, saying, a child is born to you. Seems in these days that the fathers kind of got off with uh, being in there for the birth. And they, you had a messenger and he sort of brought you the news. You know, it's all finished. You can come in now. And uh, he brought this message, which in these days would have been the greatest news that Jewish parents could hear. That was that a son had been born, and this was very significant to them because the son would, would lay claim to the inheritance, and he would, he would lead the family for future generations. There was no greater news than this. And yet Jeremiah wants a curse on that man. The kind of curse that fell upon Sodom and Gomorrah. Oh, if this man had just performed an execution of some kind, verse 17. But he did not. And Jeremiah finishes utterly dejected, verse 17, with just a question that hangs in the air with no answer. Why did I ever come out of the womb to see trouble and sorrow and to end my days in shame? Very hard words. What can we say about cursing? I've been wrestling with that this week. And what can we say about it in 2007? Well, I wouldn't want to commend to you cursing this morning. You're maybe not surprised that I should say that. Uh, but I do want to say to you that this reflects sometimes just how acute the pain gets. Scripture never hides the high cost of God's commission to us in ministry. And some of us will have it easier than others, but some of us will have it very, very hard. Rock bottom. But I want to focus, I think, on three encouragements just as we finish on this. There's actually some encouragements in here. First of all, did you notice that Jeremiah, even in the depths of despair, does not cross the line? He curses the day he was born and he curses the man who brought the news. But notice, he does not curse God. And he does not curse his parents, both of which would have been capital offences for Jeremiah, according to Leviticus chapter 20. If he had cursed his parents, if he, had, if he had cursed God, he would have been put to death by his contemporaries. In other words, Jeremiah hasn't got to the point where he wants to end his life. He just wishes his life had never started in the first place. Different kind of thing. He's like Job. He doesn't curse 
God and die. But he does curse the day that he was born, the fact that he was born. Now, I think that's an encouragement. That even in the depths of despair, for the Christian, even more than Jeremiah, for the Christian, there is grace and there is preserving power for us to keep us from falling. We might go very deep, but we will not go very wide and very far because of God's help. Second encouragement, and this comes from really the wider context of the book. It wouldn't be a good idea to stop reading Jeremiah chapter 20. You could be very depressed, but in the wider context, you see that Jeremiah doesn't stay here. In fact, this is the last of a series of laments in this book, and it is, it is the final lament in the whole prophecy. Never again in the book that we know of does Jeremiah lament like this. And he faced worse challenges. We're going to see that tougher things were to come for him than even this. And I think the encouragement is that he came out stronger from this experience. And he, that he was more solid after this experience. And that's what God does through our suffering. He strengthens us. Some of you here are very strong in the faith because you've been through some tough stuff. He didn't stay there. That's the second encouragement. And here's the third thing this morning. And this is really just turning us toward this table. Even as we come to think about the broken bread. And even as we come to turn from Jeremiah's sufferings to the sufferings of another man whom some thought was a prophet. He was greater than a prophet and his name was Jesus Christ. And he came into the world to deal with suffering. And what Jeremiah experienced in part, Jesus experienced to an excruciating degree. Jesus was arrested. Jesus was beaten. Jesus was publicly ridiculed. And he wasn't just placed in the twist of the stocks for the night, but he was nailed to a cross. The most cruel death that anyone has ever devised. And with his body contorted, he cried out in pain, even as the daytime sun fell black. And yet it's amazing to read the account and to read what led up to this and to read the way that Jesus chose this. Jesus had enormous courage. He chose the cross. And it wasn't easy. I mean, in some measure, you read the, the narrative you take it at face value. There was some measure of lament. Jesus took up the 22nd Psalm and he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And yet ultimately he had confidence. He could say, Into your hands I commit my spirit. And because of Jesus' courage, and because of his confidence, and because he did not bring a curse to God, he could have done that, but bore the curse for us, we can be freed, not just from suffering, though that is ultimately going to be the case for the Christian, but from the sin that causes our pains. 
That's why Jesus came into the world, to suffer, to deal with suffering and to deal with sin that causes our suffering. We come this morning to see a man under enormous pressure, but who took our sins upon himself. And I simply ask you this morning, is your confidence for the challenges of today, for the pressures of tomorrow, and for the dealing of your sin, is it in Jesus Christ? Is he your Savior this morning? Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this discouraging incident and yet for this encouraging record as we see someone who has been there before us and even beyond us in his experience of pain in ministry. Lord, would you encourage us to be courageous and to express to you our deepest feelings and to have a sure and solid confidence in you, whatever our lot. And we pray that you would focus us now on the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who came into the world to undo suffering. And Lord, we praise you for the suffering death of Jesus in our place. Help us now to worship him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.